They're here, everyone. They are the smart kids at the shops with their mothers or fathers, riding their bikes around the streets and playing down by the river, as well as talking to their friends on their smartphones. Join the smart kids each week as they discover, explore, and solve the mysteries of today. Here's your host, J.T. Crowley. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Smart Kids Show. This week, my guest is David Mamina, and he's from New York City, and to be Long Island, to be precise. And he's a an award-winning, self-published indie dark fantasy author. Um, David presently. He teaches history to middle school students with learning disabilities. And his, his award-winning themes, his works, include redemption of fallen heroes, good versus evil, and the unity of those split by their differences in the face of adversity. His books are set in post-apoplexic, and I'll even get that right one of these days, Fantasy Realms and Present Day. And looking at his websites and his works and his readings and his writings, he believes writing is a craft. And he, is, he believes it's a living spirit that buries itself into the hearts, mind, body and souls of all the readers. David, welcome to the podcast show. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. From one author to another. Absolutely. And a lot of um, people will be listening to this podcast and other kids that I talk to and their parents. They don't realize that we've actually got three things in common. And that is that, yes, you're from Long Island, New York. And my mother was from Manhattan in New York. And that we also have a great uh, deal of interests with working with people with learning disabilities because you teach history to people with learning disabilities and middle grade in the, the US. When you were young, you had an English teacher. What was your teacher's surname? My teacher's name was Mr. Sullivan. And my mother's maiden name is Sullivan. And my character in my spy book it's Charlie Sullivan. So there you go, kids. There you go, guys. There's the three things that myself and David have in common. We've never met before, apart from having a little chat the other day on Zoom. And we found out with our little talk that we actually got things in common. So you never know, kids, when you talk to people around the world, just find there's a coincidence. And there you go. We're all connected somehow, right? We are Somewhere. We are indeed. I've looked at your books and I'm just fascinated as to what brought you to writing and mm. start writing. Well, uh, two things, actually. The first thing is uh, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. And of course, there was a lot of entertainment for me then. And I enjoyed uh, playing video games as a kid, and I enjoyed to play other people's stories, essentially, is what I was doing. I was living out their stories through their characters, and I was really enchanted by that. And I thought to myself, I think my imagination can't be held in this game only. I think I could expand on this. 
I'd like to make my own adventures, my own stories. What would my characters be like? What would their struggles be uh, that they would have to overcome? And um, that happened in movies and TV shows for me. I wanted to challenge myself and see what I could create. And the second thing that brought me to writing um, was I had a stammer problem when I was young. I had speech therapy, and I still do stutter from time to time. It's one of the things that uh, you just, it doesn't go away. You sort of learn how to adapt through it. Um, you know one of the famous people in the world who had a stammer? I know one is President Biden right now. Who do you have? Who did we have? King George the Sixth. Ah, that's right. Remember that <laughs> speech? I remember that movie. Brilliant film. Yeah. Brilliant. It was our present Queen's father. He had a stammer. Yes. And, you know, I've always admired people who can overcome that because it is a difficulty at times, but it can be overcome. And sometimes, you know, you don't realize that somebody's got a stammer. Yes. And I've, I've been a great believer in, you know, if you do come across somebody with a stammer, is not to, you know, highlight it. Just accept them and just give them just a little bit more breathing space to get the words out. That's right, isn't it? You are so right. Uh, I would have loved that when I was in school at that age. But students that I have, I am like, I'm so shocked sometimes. They stammer through their answers, but they're going to get their answer out. They don't care. They will fight through their stammer to get their answer. And even to ask questions, they're not afraid. So they had a lot more bravery than I had. When I was a kid, I was just better off not asking a question or answering anything. I was just so humiliated by um, my disability at the time. But these kids I'm teaching today, they don't care. They'll fight through it. And uh, I'm, when they're finished with their question or their answer, I will tell them that. I'll say, you fought through that and you did it great and keep it up, man. Because eventually you'll have control over that. Uh, just like you said, it, it, it won't stay with you forever. You will be able to have it instead of it having you. I say good for them. So David, when yeah. I was kid, I hated reading. And my mother was an English teacher and she would pull her hair out with me just to get me to read a page. And when I got to the end of the page, I would very often say to her, can I go now? And to her utter despair, she used to go, oh, just go. <laughs> Did you, as a child, love reading books? Great question. No. And I did not enjoy it. Um, but uh, one day I went to the Scholastic Fair in my school and I picked up a book that I thought was my style. And obviously at the time, I didn't know that I would be writing uh, dark fantasy works in the future, but it looked like a dark fantasy novel. And the print was big enough and the cover was cool. And I said, ah, I guess I'll buy this. And I started reading it that night and I had read the book through that night. And it was a big book and compared to me. Now I could have read it uh, in one night as well. But I actually found the book again on Amazon a few months ago and read it again and said, wow, this is why I enjoyed this, this book so much. And that book 
uh, was called Child of an Ancient City. And um, it, it really sparked something in me. And I said, man, I really got to read more of this. So like I had answered before uh, to myself, you know, I, I want to write something that I uh, had seen in, in a video game or in a movie. But now I got that from books. And that's what opened up the world to me with books. And I said, you know what? It's not that I don't like reading. I'm just not reading the right books. And that's what I came to terms with. So sometimes it's not, you know, you don't want to read or I don't want to read or he doesn't want to read. What books do you like? Because when you find the right book, all you'll want to do is read. I so agree with um, Because I eventually found the books that I like to read. But uh, I worked in the bank and I had to write letters to customers. And I used to dread writing the letters. And I thought to myself, you know, I need to do something about this. So I did. Um, but I found a genre that I liked. Well, I found two genres that I like. Crime fiction and spy thrillers. I absolutely love them. And I've just gone, been to the bookshop today and I've got a couple of more spy books and crime books because I just love them. That's the, the genre for me that makes me turn those pages. And I say to all the kids you know, when I go into the schools, that's the whole thing about, you know, when you write a book, it's getting the reader to turn the pages. Would you agree? Very much so. Sometimes it's in the first couple of pages, uh, whether you know the, the book is worth it sometimes. I mean, the hook starts early sometimes. It does. I'm going to come to that in a minute. Uh, but I want to ask you a question, David, if you don't mind. Um, I, don't mind. I create my characters. I use 14 points, you know, like uh, the color of their hair, you know, what clothes they wear. Uh, what family they've got, where they come from, what school they go to. And I know this because this is kids' stories that I write in smart books. So therefore, you know, it's going to be slightly different for you. But do you use a formula for creating your protagonist, you know, your main character, your or your antagonists, you know, your opposing characters? What do you use? Mm, another great question. You're just full of great questions. Um, I do use a formula. Mm -hmm. The formula that I like to use from time to time is uh, a two and one formula. And what that formula is, is two strengths of the character and one uh, significant weakness. And that significant weakness could be anything. It could be, like we said, a stammer. It could be um, a, a muteness. It could be uh, crippling anxiety, uh, PTSD. It could be anything, that sort of weakness. The strengths are excellent, and those strengths might work to balance out the weakness. That sometimes, even though it's just one weakness and you have so many strengths, that one weakness could be the most prevalent part of your life if you don't learn how to control it. So I enjoy writing characters that have uh, a prevalent weakness that they have to overcome or that they don't overcome, it's just there. Sure. And you find a way to relate to that character in a sense. And you don't forget that character because that character has, as you said before, a certain formula that in essence we all have. Uh, subconsciously, we don't always think about it, but you know, maybe the, the characters that we've created don't know about it either, but we can read about it. 
Yeah. In your books, in your characters, is there mm. you in there? Yes, uh, I would think so. I think every author puts a little bit of themselves in there. They usually say you write about what you know, and sometimes, do you know yourself enough? Well, write a book and see if that character seems a little bit like you. Oh, absolutely. And <laughs> it's just the way it works. Uh, one of the books I, I wrote, oh, I'm sorry, but yeah, I was going to cut you off. No, no, no. Um, I also use a formula, David, whereby um, I have, you know, the main protagonist, you know, the main character. And then sitting underneath that main character is two to three sub-characters. No mm. more than that. And when you look at um, Harry Potter, for example, you know, J.K. Rowling, she uses Harry Potter as the main character. And then you've got Ron Weasley and Hermione as the, the what I call the sub-characters. They are the two friends that support Harry. And when you look at a lot of my um, my kids' stories, my short stories, you know, there's one main character and there's two to three sub-characters. And then the next layer of characters are what I call the floating characters, David. And these are characters that go in and out of the storyline just to move the story along. Yes. Do you relate to that? Do, do you use that sort of formula? What, what you know, how do you, um, you know, put all your characters together? Excellent. Um, well, some books differ from that. Mm. Every formula uh, is not going to work interchangeably for every story you do. So, for instance, one book is an epic uh, dark fantasy tale. The other one could be a psychological thriller. So in the epic tale, it would work almost like... Um, uh, sort of a video game story where you start out with some characters that uh, find that there is a problem that needs to be solved and they're the ones that need to solve it for whatever reason. And through their journey, through their trials, they will meet characters uh, along the way, along their journey, that they will find um, to be a terror to them and they might also find to be of great help. And uh, what I love about that is you learn about that character along with the characters you've grown to know. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something uh, romantic about that in meeting a character through your character's eyes. Uh, so the sub-character does move the plot, as you said. And by the end of the story, you realize, wow, I have taken this journey along with so many different characters that we've met in so many different ways and have met so many different uh, facets to the story that I've grown to love. In a psychological thriller, it's a bit different. Uh, you need to spend more time with one character to really understand uh, the motivations. And he, of course, or she, of course, will meet some characters along the way, and you'll have to decide um, what their motivations are and how they're going to move the story. But in an epic tale, you're going to have a lot of characters to deal with as opposed to a psychological thriller. I, I, can't, I totally uh, agree with you there. Um, every book is different. Um, I want to move you along now, David, if you don't mind. And I want to move away from characters. And I want to talk to you about the plot. How mm. you create the plots of your books. Um, I split the 
the, um, the plot into two, two sections. One is scenery, and one is the storyline itself. And within the scenery, it's the geographical location, it's the time of the year, it's the time of the, when the storyline itself, it's the scenery, um, and you know, and this is when I go into the schools, I talk to the kids, you know, this is important that you've got to get you know the right. You know, if you're talking about uh, a, a story that is in, I don't know, let's say the UK and it's winter time or December, well, it's winter time, but if you've got a character and a story and it's in December, but you put your character in New Zealand, well, it's summer <laughs> and you have to be careful there. So, how do you go about plots? How do you go about thinking about the plots, you know? creating it, putting it all together? Sure. Well, uh, first I think of what the problem is, what the issue could be, and then it's a little bit like clay. You start to form it and you say, well, what would make this interesting? Where would these people be? Um, where would the reader be challenged? You know, it's one thing to say, you know, this is going to be um, a story where there's knights in shining armor, uh, and your brain would go right to, we're in the Middle Ages. It's a Middle Ages setting, perhaps Middle-aged Europe. But then you throw them for a loop and say, actually, no, this is the post-apocalypse time. We've gone back to a feudal age where we have to start sort of over again in a way. And we look like we're in the Middle Ages, but we're not. See, here are some parts of the setting to remind you that we are not in the Middle Ages. Here is the skeleton of buildings of yester century. You know, or here is um, a city or town that used to be an amphitheater a long time ago. Or here's a sewer system that was once a subway in some archaic place. So the plot sort of develops as you mold the clay yourself and, and consider, where do I want these characters to be? Mm. And what do I want my reader to get from that? To take them out of their real world into a fantasy world and yet to make that fantasy world real to them. So again, the plot must be considered in any kind of story you create. So a sci-fi sci story, um, in my opinion, would require a lot more research perhaps than a fantasy story would be because this is essentially what's real to us, but in a fiction type of realm in the future maybe. One of my short stories took place on the moon. Well, what does that entail? What do we know about that? What kind of materials would you need to be in the moon? Why are they on the moon? Wouldn't it be cheaper to be here? What's their motivation? So usually it takes me about, and this is going to sound particularly strange, but for me, I need to know everything about living on the moon before I start writing a story about people on the moon. I need to know so much about it that I could essentially help NASA at least have an understanding of what they're talking about. I'm sure not... they you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, that, and it might not even end up in the book, but the plot is, is like you said, the setting is the first thing and the time is, is the next. And uh, like I said, it, it's, it's clay in your hand. You start to formulate on how it would help uh, for the conflict in your story. Do you... Um... 
as you're you know as you're writing the the story as you're going along you know you're sitting there on your laptop or your computer and, you, and you're writing the story do you like me visually see that that story that scene that's you know set up in front like you know you're in the film you're creating the film john i can't tell you how many times i've embarrassed myself literally acting out the scene like a five-year-old as adults had watched me and I didn't know that they were there and I had to say, oh, I'm, I'm practicing for a play. Uh, I do that. Yeah. Sometimes you have to act out the scene to say, wow, that would work. Or maybe he would do this. Oh man, that's even better. I absolutely see it. I know where the characters are in relation to each other. Are they sitting to the left? Are they sitting to the right? Are they in front? Are they on a screen, um, you know, and where is that laptop? Is it on the table? I can actually see it all, and that's how I, I envisage it. So you're pretty much like me as well. And when I talk to other authors as well, we all seem to be doing the same. We can see the scene, and we're sort of like writing a set, you know, uh, for uh, a scene on stage, which I think is wonderful, don't you? I think it's amazing, because if you can see it, Chances are you'll write it in a way that your readers can see it too. Not exactly as you saw it, but I'll bet they'll be able to uh, envision it in a way that you had seen it and then add their personal touch to it. I, I like that. I like having my vision on the page and then having the reader uh, manipulate it a little bit too. I, I want to give them some breathing room to also create their own scene too. Do you... Um... You touched on this when you talk about the moon and you like to do the research in, in detail. Are you an author that plots your storyline out in the nth degree before you even put a, a word down? Or are you a bit like me? I know where the beginning is and I know where the end is. But the middle bit, I just let flow as I'm sitting on the laptop and saying, well, where's this going to go today? Yeah, yeah. It's from that's a line. That's, that's a big piece of my writing craft. And a lot of people ask me the question, and sometimes they do write and they don't end up doing anything with it. And they'll ask me, how do you do it? I mean, where do you find the time? How do you do this? Well, first, I think a lot. I think of the fun things and I act out the fun things. But then you have to put something on paper. And that's the part that gets people afraid is putting it on paper. They think that once they put it on paper, they have to commit to it. The reality is the most important part of anything you're writing, whether it's an essay that I hate to write or actually a story, it's outlining. Try to outline. If you don't like it, throw it in the trash. But outline. Put in what you think you have. Now, your outline would essentially entail the meat and potatoes of the beginning and where you are hoping to end up because those are the two most important parts of the story. For me, I like to outline where would we go with this? Why is it happening this way? Why would this person do this? Where would they go afterwards? Blah, 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 blah. And I would just jot out notes. That could be on a napkin. It could be on my phone. It doesn't have to be anywhere official because no one else is going to see this. It's you. Um, so I like to outline, I get to see my thoughts and then I can sleep at night in peace and not have to worry about what I'm putting in there. So I also cross things out in the middle of my outline 
And some things I'll just put a question mark and I'll say, I wonder what will happen when we get to that part. So, so John, to answer a question, I like to sort of have a general idea of where we're going and what will happen within. Sometimes I'll even plot in um, something in the middle of the story that I really can't wait to get to. Uh, and I'll outline how we get there, and then I'll outline that battle, perhaps, or that argument that these two people are finally going to have to hash out what, what we all knew they were going to have to uh, confront at some point. And then sometimes the outline I say, oh, the heck with this part. This was a good idea at the time, but now I think we're going somewhere else. I think we're going somewhere much more intriguing. So let's forget this outline part, and let's take this and see where it takes me. And if it doesn't work out, I have the freedom to try again. So I'm a little bit like you, John. I like to fly at the seat of my pants and see where my own characters want to take me, but I also want to help my characters and I want to lead the way to get them somewhere um, that can take the reader somewhere fascinating. And I don't limit myself. Uh, writers should never limit themselves by pages or how much should I outline or what should I... See where it takes you first and that'll take some anxiety away. I'm intrigued. Are you a, um, I'm a great people observer. I love to sit down with a glass of wine or coffee in a coffee shop or a pub, the bars in the, the US, and just watch people and observe them. Do you do that? I think sometimes. I don't observe them as much as you do, I don't think. But I, I can't help but observe them. I observe more um, school life, I guess, because that's where most of my day is. And um, I see a lot of the behaviors of, of the young and of the adults and how they, they interact with the young and, and the other adults. Um, but I don't do it as much as you do. But I do, in my head sometimes, uh, think of what certain characters would do in situations in the setting that I see like like you said like in a pub what would what could happen in in a pub and what would they talk about and what, would, what, what would go on but um i think you definitely exceed in the skill of people watching than i do i i do i love to people watch because i get ideas and characters you see and that's why i mm. do but I, I want to also say um move on a little bit further down the line here with your stories here david um in the plot, I think it's very, very important uh, to get a good start and to get the readers to turn the pages. And that's what I say to all the kids when I go into the schools. Do you think it's important, um, you've touched on it already um, a little bit, to get a good start for the book? It's huge. It's so important. Um, it's almost like the cover of the book itself. They say you judge a book, right, by the, by the cover, which in, in essence is true, but the judging isn't over yet. Then you judge the book by the first page. So you got them to even pick up the book. They might look at the back of the book and see what it's about. It's the first page that is the hook. It's not the second or third or the first chapter. You have to let them know, this is what my writing style is like, right? It's not too advanced, right? Because a, a too advanced beginning where the, the words are too hard to pronounce, or you have to look up every word. Not everyone likes that. They want to sit down and enjoy a story, and they want to use their imagination. They don't want to have to go to their dictionary every five minutes 
although I do enjoy going to the phone and saying, wow, what does this word mean? I just learned something. But for the first hook, you want to put someone in a situation where it's like, wow, this person is in this situation already. Let me uh, situate myself in the seat and see what's going to happen here. This is just the first page. Or set the setting like, wow, this is where we are right now. You know, I, I, I rather enjoy that. And I think the first paragraph is the punch. First paragraph is the one that sets up the whole thing. Here's where we are. And if you can nail the first paragraph, I think, I think you'll have the person for at least the first chapter. I, and then from that point on. Yeah. I, you know, for me, uh, when I read a book, it's got to be, I get into it the first couple of, first chapter or the second chapter. And if I'm starting to think I don't like this after the second chapter, it doesn't tend to turn the pages and it gets put on the bookshelf. And that's what I say to all the kids when I go to the schools. The art of writing a good story is to get people to turn this, the pages. And when I go into the schools, David, I, I also say to the kids is I use a formula of 10% introduction, 80% the storyline, you know, and it's got to be thriller, thriller, as opposed to be uh, waffle, waffle. And 10% the ending, bringing it all together with all the little hidden points and twists and telling them why. Do you use that? No, but I might consider it. That's a genius way of looking at things. That sort of formula, I like that. Um, I think that falls into the category of where, where are the characters and the plot taking me in this situation? And I've never been a big math guy, so I suppose the percentages would throw me off. <laughs> you're a historian. You're a literary person. That's the yeah. side of your brain. It's the creative side. It's not, it's not the mathematical side. Yes, yes. David, if um, where can you know where's you, where do you see your market? You know who do you write for, and you know where can they get your books from? So who's your market? I believe my market is anyone who enjoys to read um, exciting fiction uh, that has action in it. Uh, that also makes you think and isn't afraid to be a little scared sometimes. So that's a broad market. So we're looking at fantasy. We're looking at sci-fi. We're looking at mystery. You know, um, I like that, uh, that sort of market. And um, what's been working for me recently, especially during the pandemic that we are we're trying to get out of now, uh, is the online bookstore. Amazon is... Uh, is my greatest marketplace, I would say. Um, and my website itself uh, has links to my uh, print copy of the books, which is on lulu.com. My website shoots you right there, and it's the cheapest versions of any of the print books. So Amazon has my print books and Barnes and & Noble and other sites, but the best way to get them is through my website, and it shoots you to a link where you don't have to pay the extra retail price. It's just the manufacturer price and the, uh, the small royalty as opposed to everyone else's hands getting a piece of it. So the eBooks are on Amazon, which uh, are, uh, as you would know, and any reader would know, very easily accessible. The print books are 
basically from my website. It's the easiest way to get them. That's, that's brilliant. David, um, it's been fantastic talking to you. Um, I certainly, you know, not only just our little chat here, but when we had a little chat previously a couple of weeks ago, I've learned a little bit about you, about, you know, what makes you tick, you know, with writing your books, your stories, your enthusiasm to, from a very early age, to, you know, create stories for people to, to love and to read. And I'm a great believer in you know, a, a good book should always take people to another world, to, you know, escape the problems that they've got. Um, I don't know if you would agree with that or not. Absolutely. That's the whole point of reading a book, in my opinion. It is. So, David, um, what I really want to say is thank you so very much for coming on my podcast show today. Um, listeners, I hope that you've thoroughly enjoyed the chats that I've had with David Mamina. And as he said, you can go and get his books. As he said, you can go and get them. And all it remains for me to say is, David, thank you so much. And I hope that, you know, we're going to see many more books coming down the line in the near future. So there you go, everybody. That was David Mamina, and that was a little chat with him about his books and a little bit about himself and as to why he writes books, what he loves about books, and how he's got involved with the, the genre that he has chosen to write about. Well, next week, I'm going to be talking to another author. And this is going to be a lady, and she actually lives in China. So I'm going to be talking to her about her books. And again, it's a totally different genre because my interviews with uh, the authors, I'm picking all different genres, different areas. So for now, kids, guys, anybody who's listening, thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week in China. Thanks for listening to The Smart Kids. Want to follow more of their adventures? Check out The Smart Kids by J.T. Crowley on Amazon.com now.